Amen. That's rich truth. John chapter 14 in the Word of God tonight. The Gospel of John chapter 14. Well, what a gorgeous, beautiful day in Ireland today. <laughs> Got out early, took a walk, and uh, uh, just the sun was shining and uh, so forth. It's been uh, good to be back here. We are in a, minute, uh, in a sense a mini-series uh, from Wednesday to tonight. And then, of course, we've got uh, the Lord's Day and looking forward to uh, that and how the Lord will lead. But uh, a couple of nights ago, we began by finding treasure, the foundation of the Word of God, uh, the foundation of our faith as we seek, through, as we read and memorize and meditate so that we can trust and obey. That was just uh, laying the foundation. So the last night, uh, we looked further and uh, uh, saw the importance of God's specific word. That is that foundation for faith because God's specific power, his ability uh, is able to fulfill his word. And we saw the need for man's specific faith. Well, let's look at a rhema tonight. Let's look at a word, a word of God that for many they have taken in a condemning condemnation sense. And uh, I've had guys tell me, yeah, that uh, I don't like that verse. It just condemns me all the time. Uh, but I want us to see that that's not what it is. <laughs> and uh, we're going to read a verse that's in that uh, context that's absolutely very clear. Then we'll go look at the one that uh, people get confused. And we'll see how they fit together here in a moment. But John chapter 14. The Gospel of John chapter 14. The Lord Jesus is speaking. He's talking to his disciples Eleven of them, Judas is gone at this point. And he is a few hours before the cross. He's just really not far away from being betrayed by Judas. And he's what we sometimes would call sharing his heart uh, with his disciples, those closest to him. In John 14, 15, and 16, amazing chapters capped off by the prayer of the Lord Jesus in John 17. So we're early on in this heart discussion. Uh, these words that he wants to give them before he leaves. And so John 14, look at verse 23. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will. Keep my words. That's amazing. And my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which he hears not mine, but the Father's which sent me. Now we're honing in on that opening statement by Jesus in verse 23. If a man, that is, if a human being, if anyone loves me, that is a condition, but notice the promise. He will keep my words. The title of the message tonight is, It's a Promise. Let's pray. Let's ask the Spirit of God to be our teacher tonight. Lord, we do thank you for the opportunity of this evening, these several nights together. Thank you for each one that's come in tonight. The Spirit of the living God. Open the eyes of our understanding. Lord, that we would see truth. That faith would be ignited. And Lord, that we would respond by grabbing a hold of this amazing promise. And Lord, would you change lives. Lord, I pray that for some it'll be an eye-opening, awakening, pivotal night. Turning point. That days from now, weeks from now, even months from now, there'll be ongoing transformation. Lord, that there'll be a supernatural lift into a whole new sphere of experience in their journey with you. Lord, do it. Glorify your name. May we see the weight of your words, the weight of your promise. May we see your words for what they are, a genuine promise. Lord, I plead the blood of Jesus to protect us from the attack of the enemy who seeks to get us to doubt. Lord, would you undeceive tonight where we need that? Would you blast away Satan's lies and deceptions? Lord Jesus, we claim our position in you at the throne and in your great name that is above all names. We exercise your authority over any powers of darkness that would seek to hinder tonight. Trust you that that not be allowed. Lord, we need a fresh meeting with you tonight. Lord, would you do it? Meet the need of every heart, wherever each one is. In relationship with you, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
When someone that you love has that sparkle in their eye and that intensity in their voice and they say the words, it's a promise. You know. <laughs> you can count on it. But I'm going to tell you, you know even more when that someone is Jesus. And Jesus here gives a promise. If a man love me, he will keep my words. You see, Jesus here wants us to see that when you love Jesus, you live Jesus. When you love Jesus, you experience Jesus. You see, he's giving us a promise that if a person, if anyone loves me, he will keep my words. When you love Jesus, you live Jesus. Now, let's ask four questions tonight to guide us in this study. Because sometimes, you know, we think, well, that just sounds too good to be true. And, uh, you know, we have the saying in humanity, if it's too good to be true, it's too good to be true. But I'm going to tell you, when Jesus says it, it is not beyond. We saw that last night. With God, no rhema shall be impossible. This is a rhema. If anyone loves me, he will keep my words. So let's ask these four questions to guide us through this study. First of all, what does keep mean? <laughs> well, this is interesting because it actually has several meanings. That's true, uh, obviously, in any language. You have words that have multiple meanings. And we have words where you can go to an English dictionary and you find all these multiple meanings. And, and obviously, it's how the word is used. It's the given context. And, oh, that's how we know which meaning applies uh, in that particular setting. And the same is true with this word that's translated keep here in verse 23. Uh, we see this same word in Acts chapter 16. That's the story of the Philippian jailer uh, where Paul and Silas are thrown into prison and the jailer is charged to keep the prison. <laughs> well, obviously that means to guard the prison. So in that sense, in that context, this same word means guard. It is used in Matthew 27 when Jesus was crucified it says that the soldiers watched him there. And the word watched is our word keep. So similar to guard, a little bit uh, uh, extra nuance of watching, but in the sense of guard. But the same word is used in James 2.10, whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point. He is guilty of all. Well, in that verse, it means obey. Now, you got a variety of meaning here, folks. Guard, watch, they're pretty close. But obey, that's completely different. So what does it mean here? Well, for years, I chose the definition watch because it seemed like the easiest one to do. <laughs> but that doesn't mean that's what it means. Sometimes we do that, we choose what we want. But you know, right here in this very context, we have a clue as to which meaning applies here. Because as Jesus is talking about love, as he's talking about, if a person loves me, he will keep my words. As he continues to explain this, before you even get into chapter 15, notice verse 31 of chapter 14. Uh, here's, a, here's an illustration. He says, but that the world may know that I love the Father. And as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. So in that verse, he is explaining his love is demonstrated by his obedience. And that's the context here, talking about love. So in that, uh, uh, with that, we come to grips with, well, in this context, in verse 23, it means obey. If a man love me, he will keep, he will obey my words. Well, that brings us to a second question. Is this really a promise or is this a command? Would you look please at verse 15? And this is where the confusion comes. This is the verse that many have told me. 
just in the last two months as I've begun to preach this uh, passage that this verse has uh, been a hard verse for them because they are condemned by it all the time. Verse 15 says, If ye love me, keep my commandments. So we've got the same condition about loving Jesus. In verse 23, it's a promise. In verse 15, it's a command. Well, now wait a second, it can't be both. <laughs> Which one is it? Is this a promise or is it a command? Now, obviously grammar is bedrock to understanding, and so we can look at you know, the simplicity of even the spelling. Uh, this is true in English. We take the word keep, for example, K-E-E-P. Well, what if we just change a couple letters there in the spelling, K-E-P-T, and that means it's past tense. Okay, so a little slight variation in the spelling uh, can give us a clue as to what tense it is, what mood it is, and so on. Well, let's then do that. But when you do that, and you go into the Greek word here that is translated keep, same word in verse 15, it's in verse 23. What's interesting is there's no variation in the spelling. In other words, this is very unusual, but the spelling of this word when it's a command is exactly the same as the spelling of this word when it's future tense. So there's no clue. There's no nuance of a different spelling to tell us what tense, what mood. It's the same. It's the exact same. That's unusual. So that means we have to then go to context to find out what's going on. So look at verse 15. Let's go to the context of the very statement. And it says, if ye love me. Ye is you. It's the second person plural. Now, when I was sitting in English class in high school, you know, I didn't, forgive me, I didn't, you know, I was not thrilled about grammar and I wasn't thinking this was going to make a difference in my life or whatever. But I'm going to tell you, when I got into Greek class, all of a sudden English grammar became important because grammar is important. So, in verse 15, you have a second person plural, if ye or if you love me. Now, let's see if it demands one of the two words. You could say, as it says right here, if you love me, keep my commandments. That's the command. Or you could say, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. In other words, there's nothing in the second person plural that would demand one or the, over the other. Either one can fit. However, when you get down to verse 23... It switches, even though it's still the same condition of loving Jesus, it switches from the second person plural to the third person singular. Now this is significant because in verse 23 when it says, If a man love me, okay, it says, it's translated here, he will keep my words, that's the future tense. Well, let's see if the command would work here. If a man love me, keep my words. Now wait a second, you can't do that because you can't switch from second person plural to third person singular midstream. Can't do that. So in verse 23, the, it, the, only, uh, it, the only one that would, that would work would be the future tense. So in my study, maybe you do this sometimes in your study, you dig around a little bit more, and uh, I got to thinking, well, let me just see how some of the other translations uh, deal with this. And I looked up 15 English translations, all 15 in verse 23 go with the future tense. If a man love me, he will keep my words. Why? Because you have no choice. That's what it has to be. You can't throw the command in there with the third person singular. Oh, when it comes to verse 15, about half of the translations went with the command and half went with the promise. Because based on verse 15 alone, it can go either way. However, verse 15 isn't alone. It's in a context. And in verse 23, it's talking about the same thing. And therefore, since verse 23 is bedrock, it has to be a promise. If a man loved me, he will keep my words. Then the weight of the context means in verse 15... If you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's got to be a promise. The context demands it. Not only that, theology demands it. Now don't let that word scare you. That just means truth from other scripture and you put it together. <laughs> and think about this. Trying to obey. Sounds so good, doesn't it? But trying to obey to prove your love leads to the bondage of a performance-based acceptance. That if we perform well, okay, God loves me now, 
And if we don't perform well, oh, God is not happy with me. He doesn't love me anymore. See, trying to obey the command to prove your love leads to the bondage of performance-based acceptance. Now think about this. This is so important. If this is a promise, then it's a matter of trust in the one who gives the promise. If it is a command, then it's a matter of pleasing the one who gives the command. Well, they both sound good. Well, let's go further. If it is a promise, it's a matter of trusting in Jesus. You trusting, but faith is not a work. You trusting Jesus, and faith is not a work. It depends on the worker, and when you trust Jesus, he works. So if it's a promise, it's trusting in Jesus. You trusting, if it's a command, it's trusting in yourself. As you try to please so if it's a promise, you're trusting Jesus. If it's a command, you're trusting you. Now that's a problem. <laughs> you see, if it's a promise, the power source is Jesus to enable you according to the promise. If it's a command, the power source is you to obey. Well, sometimes we don't do so well. You see, if it's a promise, the focus is on Jesus the object of faith. If this is a command, then the focus is on a system. All the things you got to do in order to please. And somehow those lists get longer and longer and longer. You see, if it's a promise, this is relational. <laughs> it's a relationship with this one who gives the promise. If it is a command, it's ritual. All the things you got to do. If it is a promise then it leads to freedom because Jesus enables you according to the promise. If it is a command, it leads to bondage because you're on your own. Have you ever come to grips with that? That truth. This is watershed. When you see this truth, it is watershed. It is radically life-altering. Have you come to this? I have a friend from college, same age, and uh, we went to college together, and uh, uh, I was five years an assistant, he was a youth pastor, and then in 92 I hit the road in evangelism, and, and eventually he became a senior pastor. And over the years, he would invite me for meetings, and uh, uh, we, uh, uh, we would enjoy fellowship together. Uh, it's funny, you know, uh, uh, those of you that have heard me preach know that I preach essentially uh, certain themes, and that's about all I preach, and that's true. <laughs> and so uh, when somebody is excited about those truths, they talk about it. And when somebody never talks about it, you realize, well, maybe they don't, <laughs> whatever. Uh, maybe they don't understand, I don't know. And he was one of those guys that never talked to me about what I preached, but we knew each other forever, so he'd had me come anyway. And I was glad to do it. Well, 10 years ago, I was in a meeting with him, and on a Thursday night, I was preaching away, and his wife uh, got up and walked to the back. I thought she was going to the restroom. She was actually leaving him. Now, he was a good man. He was... He was uh, he was a bit of a my way or the highway, he would tell you that. A bit of an emperor or a dictator. Now, he was a benevolent emperor, but nonetheless an emperor. But that still doesn't, you know, give somebody the right to just walk out on your spouse. She was walking out. What a nightmare. What an am I can't even begin to explain the nightmare for this man. He lost his marriage. He lost his church. And for the next year and a half, he spiraled down. Not into sin, but into despair. Uh, seriously contemplated suicide. And I knew that whenever the phone rang and I saw it was him, uh, of course I wanted to help him when I could, but I knew that if I picked up the phone, it would be at least an hour and a half, probably two hours before I would be finished. Because he was just understandably, in despair 
Everything has changed. His lost. His whole life. Everything's altered. This is a mess. And guys that are trained for ministry are often not trained for anything else. And so it's a mess when you can't be in ministry. And uh, really turbulent time. Then, one day, in the providence of God, he watched a sermon on video on the internet. It's called The Room of Grace. And God began to ignite something in his heart that was missing. So he began to probe further with these men, this man that was preaching, and found that he had a book, and he bought the book, and he began to read, and he would call me. He said, John, John, he said, this is what these guys are saying. He said, hey, isn't that what you say too? <laughs> he said, I know they're in a different group, but isn't this the same? <laughs> and I would say, yep, it sure is the same. That's, that's spot on. That's life-changing truth. And God was opening his eyes to the power of Jesus Christ to enable us to live by his life, which is the right life. That's the freeing life. See, liberty is the way of faith, which is not a work, and a person whose name is Jesus, it's the way of faith in Christ alone. See, liberty is the faith way. <laughs> Anything else is the toll way. So... I'm telling you, he would call me left and right because, man, I'm learning this, I'm learning this. And I mean, he, now he's talking about it. <laughs> and he would remember, he said, didn't you preach on this? <laughs> yeah. And so that's interesting, you know, because he had never talked about it before. And I'm going to tell you, that guy grew and grew and grew in the Lord. There's so much more to the story. But uh, I'm telling you, he leveled out. He came to a point where he was satisfied with Jesus alone. That God really is enough. That without a spouse and without ministry like it used to be for him, a pastorate, he had God. And I'm going to tell you, that came, it became real to him. Now look, I've preached on the Spirit for life for 20 years or, or more. I wished I lived it far better. I preach on it. This guy... He was living it. I mean, I mean, that guy took off. He left me long. I, I, mean, I mean, in the dust. I mean, honestly. And I'd call, or he'd call me, and I'd come away learning this, learning. I have learned so much from that man. Then he got leukemia. And a year ago, I went to see him. He had lost his hair, with all the treatments of chemo and all that stuff, but he was chipper, happy in the Lord. <laughs> being a blessing to me instead of the other way around. And then uh, he got sepsis and he was with the Lord in four days. Now, he learned the difference between living under command versus living under promise. Wow. You see, as Christianity is a relationship not a religion. So Christian growth is realized through the relationship, not religious ritual. So, is it a promise or a command? It is a promise. Now that brings us to a third question. Well, how does this work? Well, let's jump back to verse 15 now that we understand the weight of the context and uh, so on. Uh, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. How? Why? Verse 16. I love this. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. Ah, that's a beautiful name of the Holy Spirit. It actually comes from the word paraclete. You've probably heard of that. And that word means to come alongside of. Now, the idea of comfort is only one application of that. So the, the word behind it is much more than just comfort, though comforter is a glorious truth. He is the comforter. But he's more than that. He's the one who comes alongside with all sorts of needs that we have, not just the need for comfort. And he is the one who helps. He is the one who enables. And now notice, he says, I'm going to give you this, this comforter, this helper, that, for the purpose that he may abide, that he may help, that he may abide with you forever. And this is helping us to understand even the word abide. It's defined in chapters like 1 John 3 and John 15 and John 6. And I love it in John 6. That's the passage that deals with feeding on Jesus as the true bread from heaven. And it gives the analogy to food. But the word abide is there and it defines abide. Look, physically speaking, 
When we eat food, we are depending on the food. We're abiding in the food. We've got to make that choice. But once you've made that choice, that food abides in you. It enables you. It nourishes you. It strengthens you. It gives you life. Okay? And the same is true spiritually when you feed on Jesus. When you depend on Jesus. When you make faith choices based on the words. You are abiding in Christ. Now you and I have to make that choice. But when you do, what's automatic is He abides in you. That's this side of it here. That He may abide with you forever. That He might help that he might supernaturally enable. Let's read on verse 17. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him. For he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Now Christianity is the only religion where the founder moves into the hearts of the followers. You see, if He doesn't move in us, then all we're left with is imitation. Our attempt to imitate Him. Sounds noble, but we can't imitate Him. Flesh cannot imitate God. Flesh cannot imitate Spirit. Only God meets the standard of God. And that's why we need imputed righteousness, credited righteousness and justification. It's why we need imparted righteousness and sanctification. And the fact that it says, He shall be in you, means that the power here is not us trying to imitate. It's Him in us imparting the life of Jesus to it. It's not imitation, it's impartation. Where the Spirit of Jesus moves in when you're born again. And as you learn to walk by faith, the Spirit imparts to you that very life. He fills you with that very life. See, that's the Spirit-filled life. It's the Spirit in you filling you with the life of Jesus. I'm going to tell you, friends, when that happens, you experience Jesus. That means there's hope. When a divine someone is in a human someone... Imparting the divine someone to the human someone's personality. <laughs> so that your personality is now charged by the divine life of Almighty God. The very life that walked the planet 2,000 years ago. Still walking it. Through your personality. And that's amazing because we all have different ones. <laughs> but the same life. Let's read on. Verse 18. I will not leave you comfortless. Now that's not the same word as you see up there in verse 16 with comforter. It's literally, I will not leave you as orphans. So he's saying, I will not leave you helpless. Why? Because I'm sending the helper. He's going to help you. And he's going to be in you. And so Jesus says, I will not leave you without help. I will not leave you helpless. And then he says, I will come to you. Now wait a second. He just said he was leaving and he sent in the Spirit. But now he says, I will come to you. And that indicates that when the Spirit of Jesus moves in, when you uh, trust Jesus as Savior, when you're born again, it's not the Spirit here merely in the stead of Christ. It's the Spirit bringing the life of Christ right to us. And that's why Galatians 2.20 can say, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives. Christ lives in me. Well... It's because Jesus said, I will come to you. My spirit. I will come to you. Wow. And so verse 19, yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. But ye see me because I live, ye shall live also. You see, when you love Jesus, you live Jesus. Because I live, you will live. Now you'll really live. The world says live it up with all their junk and stuff and we think that the flesh is serving us only to find out that you're serving the flesh and you're a slave. But I'm going to tell you, friends, real life is when you access life himself. The eternal life of Jesus moving in now accessed as the abundant life because I live, you're going to live. Why? Because the Spirit regenerates your spirit with the divine seed and nature of God and then he moves in. And friends, from there, when you walk by faith, then the Spirit lifts up your spirit to rule over your soul and body the way God intended for it to be. Now we noted the last couple of nights that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You see, the access to the Spirit, the access to the Holy Spirit, the access to the Spirit for life is by faith. But faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word. 
And friends, as we saw last night, when the Spirit of God stirs you with that rhema of truth, that specific Word of God, and you trust, that's when you experience the power of Hebrews 4.12 as this Word of God that is living, that is quick and powerful, and it is sharper than any two-edged sword, and it pierces uh, and divides asunder. Now get this, between soul and spirit... You see, when you walk by faith based on words, the Spirit then who moved into your spirit energizes and the Spirit then is lifted up to the dominant position. The Word of God therefore divides asunder between soul and spirit. And now the Spirit is energizing your spirit to rule over your soul and body so that you are experiencing life in its fullest capacity. The way God meant it to be. See, when Adam and Eve sinned, the spirit fell into the soul. <laughs> when you get saved, then the spirit is regenerated and the Holy Spirit moves in. When you walk by faith, then you have the spirit domination where there's been the separation of soul and spirit based on words and thus you experience life the way God intends for it to be. You know, when your personality, you, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives. See, it's still your personality. We're not robots. But when you are walking by faith and experiencing grace and experiencing Jesus and experiencing this life, then now you are experiencing life in that full capacity as God intends. So verse 20, at that day, ye shall know, and this is the word, to know experientially. <laughs> you see, at that day, when all of this provision is made available and you now walk by faith and you experience Jesus, at that day, you shall know experientially that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. In other words, when, when, when all of this takes place and Jesus finished the work of the cross, He went to the throne, He sent the Spirit, and now when you get saved, the Holy Spirit moves in. And friends, when you walk by faith, you experience Jesus and you know you're in Him and He's in you. You know. <laughs> wow. Then verse 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. We're going to come back to that in a moment. But notice this. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father and I will love him and will manifest. I love that word. Manifest myself to him. There is... Uh, what's called, uh, uh, there's a man named Thayer who wrote uh, one of the Greek lexicons that's kind of known as a, a standard one. He has a great statement on this word manifest. He says, Christ giving evidence by the action of the Holy Spirit on the souls of the disciples that he is alive in heaven. And that allows you then to live stream, to live stream from the throne. Not just a screen of what's going on somewhere else, but the actual animation, the actual life being streamed into you. <laughs> That's why Jesus could say, no man can ascend up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man that is in heaven. <laughs> you see, he was on earth, but he was life streaming. Life streaming from the throne. <laughs> and that is our privilege, folks. The very same life of Jesus that walked the planet 2,000 years ago that is at the throne right now can be streamed right into your being. That's what Jesus said. That's how this can work. That when you love Him, you will keep His words. Why? Because of the life stream as you experience Jesus. And so verse 23... Where we started, Jesus answered and said to him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, uh, uh, and will come unto him, and we will come unto him, and make our abode with him. That word abode is the noun of the verb abide. Oh, that was brilliant. <laughs> wow, that's kind of interesting though. Because abide is such a key word. It's the picturesque word for faith and this whole life of experiencing Jesus. And he says, we will make our abode, our abiding place, our dwelling place with him, the guy who loves him. <clears throat> Do you know how that word abode is translated in this chapter in verse 2? Mansion! Friend, when you walk by faith, thus you're walking in the Spirit and you're filled with Jesus, God says, 
I'll make your body my mansion. That's amazing. And you become the beachhead for divine life to you and through you out to others. Bringing the divine dynamic into you and through you to others. That's the abiding life. So the bottom line is, when you love Jesus, you live Jesus. How? By the ministry of the Spirit of Jesus. Several months ago, I was in Nova Scotia. And one night I preached on the provision we have. Christ is in us and the access is faith. And it's simple steps. You take Jesus. He's there. He's in you. Christ lives in me. But it is by faith. So if you don't exercise faith, you miss out on the benefit. And so you take the provision of his life in you. And you say thank you. Because when you, when you say thank you, it means you believe you have received. And then you experience Jesus. So there was a young mother who had some questions about this. I heard that during the day that she had asked the pastor's wife about some stuff. And so that night I was looking forward to see if we could talk. And sure enough, they had a, a little fellowship time afterwards. And so uh, we began to talk and she had several children. She pointed to one that was a toddler, three or four maybe, maybe a little bit more than a toddler. She said, you see that one? <laughs> Every morning, that one cries. And the tone of voice meant, and it irritates the fire out of me. <laughs> but she says, that one cries. And then she went on to say, and it's frustrating. She said, but last night you said <laughs> that Jesus is in you. You take and say thank you. She said, so this morning, get up. Life gets going. Sure enough, she's crying. So I said, okay, I got to apply what you know, preacher said last night. And she said, the best I knew, she said, I took Jesus. I said, God, I'm taking you. Jesus, I'm taking you. Thank you. <laughs> and she said, you know, I was at peace. <laughs> I said to her, you lived Jesus. She looked at me, and this smile broke across her face, and she said, I did? <laughs> She said, that's it? She said, that's the spirit for life? I said, well, yes, of course. You, you can't do that on your own. Normally, you told me. You're frustrated every day, and today you're at peace. I said, that's supernatural. That's Jesus. She said, you mean this isn't just for preachers? <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> wow. So, what does keep mean? It means obey in this context. Is it a promise or is it a, a command? It's a promise. Well, how does it work? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Final question. What is the sequence in all of this? Well, let's start with a simple sequence, and then we'll fill in some details. But verse 21 gives us the simple sequence. I said we'd come back to it. Jesus here says, He that hath my commandments. Now, he uses the verb to have, he's using it in the present tense, that means it's ongoing, so he who is having my commandments. See, that's faith. You're having, you're taking God at his word. And then he goes on to say, and keepeth them, that's also present tense, and is keeping and is obeying. So he who is having, that's faith, that's trust, and is keeping, that's obedience. Then it says... He it is that loveth or who is loving me. Now, what's the order? <clears throat> Not in the English, but in concept. Think about it. He says, he who is having my commandments. In other words, you're taking God at his word. There's trust. And is keeping them. There's obedience. He it is... I'm going to add a little word or phrase here that's doing this because he's loving me. So which one's first? It's the love. See, he who is having my words and is keeping them is doing so because he is the one who's loving me. So the order is love, trust, obey. And when you do, you experience Jesus. That's the simple sequence. Love, 
love. Faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. See, there's the key. Love. That then opens the way for trust. That then opens the way for obedience. That opens the way then for experience. Now, let's give a detailed sequence because there's things that are happening as these words merge together. Love. You know, Psalm 37.4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there is that, uh, that sense of love and the sense of uh, you love and therefore delight in. And when you delight in, you desire. And when you desire, you choose. And so, you choose Jesus. And you do that by choosing His words because He is the living Word and these are the living words. And thus, you're having His words. <laughs> You are trusting. So there's love moving now into trust. So it's love, delight, de desire, choose, which means you're now depending. Because when you choose him, it means you're depending on him. And when you do that, he enables you. Why? Because verse 16 down to verse 23 gave us all of this emphasis on the power of the Holy Spirit. Ah, so when you love, you delight, you choose, you desire, you choose, uh, and therefore depend, and now you're enabled because of all that we just saw. And when you're enabled, you obey. And in that obedience, it's by His power, it's by His life, and therefore you experience Jesus. So let's bring it back down to simplicity. Lord, I choose you. I'm taking you, Lord. Regardless of how you feel. Because feelings may be all over the map. Feelings may, I want this, I want this, I want that. Look, you don't want that sin. That's the old master. You used to be joined to him. You got severed from him when you were born again. You were raised a new man. The Holy Spirit moved in and all that pull towards sin. That is not you. And so regardless of the pull, you can say, Jesus, I'm choosing you. Thank you. You see, just like if somebody hands you uh, uh, a... a, a, a you know, a monetary bill that's worth a lot. And they say, I want you to have this. And so you take it and you say, thank you. The thank you means you believe you have received. Okay, so Lord Jesus, I'm taking you. Thank you. And you know, one author words it this way. Lord, you died that I might have abundant life. So I am excited to see how you are going to overcome today <laughs> regarding such and such. That's beautiful. You see, that's essentially what that young mother did. She said, I'm taking you. I choose you. Thank you. <laughs> and she said, I'm at peace. She's not frustrated. See, that's how it works. Uh, there's someone that I've known for a good number of years now. He's been up and down. He's had some uh, issues with addictions and so forth, and uh, recently he had been off track, but he got back on track with the Lord, and he wrote me. He sent me a text, and he told me all that, and at the end of his text he said, but today I'm under spiritual attack. So I wrote him back. I texted him and said, attacks bring fear and dread. Fear means we lose peace and joy. And without joy, we lose our strength. But God has not given us the spirit of fear. He has given us the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. And uh, next I said, therefore, we can reject fear and say, Lord Jesus... You died that I might have abundant life. So I am excited to see you overcome in my life today. And that's kind of a long text. Those of you that were here that's this summer, I preached on this and it was a short sermon. Remember that? <laughs> well, I sent the text off. 11 minutes later, and you can go back to my phone and see, this is 11 minutes later. He texts me back. 11 minutes go by. Here's what he said, quote, amen, exclamation point. Exactly what I needed to hear, exclamation point. Joy and peace restored already, exclamation point. Glory to God, exclamation point, end of quote. <laughs> wow, that didn't take days and months. 
In his case, it took 11 minutes. Wow. Now, obviously, then there's going to be new steps throughout a given day, but the point is, that's the, you walk by faith. You walk in the Spirit. You keep accessing Jesus. A couple of weeks ago, I got home after being gone for about three months. I got home to our home in Michigan. And uh, at the church, my uh, home church there, um, a fellow came up to me, a friend of mine, and he said, you know, uh, he said, so-and-so mentioned uh, a sermon that you preached called The Way of Escape. And he said, so he said, I went online and I was driving and I was listening to that sermon. And in that sermon, it talks about the same truth, that we have the provision, Christ has moved in. And uh, when temptation hits us, we can take Jesus and uh, say thank you. And then we can act on it. We can trust for that power to obey everything we're seeing in this text. And he said, right when you're on that point, something, he said, he put it this way, as God would have it. Something happened on the roadway that really tempted me to road rage. And he said, I realized, hey, I have an opportunity to apply what I'm hearing. He said, so I shut off the sermon. I stopped it for a second so I could apply the truth. <laughs> God, I'm taking you as the way of escape. And I'm telling you, he had the biggest smile. <laughs> and he's not naturally a big smiler, but he had the biggest smile. He said, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't go into road rage. Apparently, it was pretty normal for him. <laughs> now, friends, that's real. Now, was he tempted to road rage? Absolutely, but temptation is not sin. Remember that? The Bible says Jesus was tempted. Well, he didn't sin, so temptation can't be sin because Jesus was tempted in all points like as we, yet without sin, okay. So that means we have that opportunity to take the way of escape. We have that opportunity to love Jesus. I choose you. Thank you, Lord. See, that's the trust. I'm excited to see you overcome. And as you step forward, now there's a supernatural lift. As the Spirit of Jesus in you imparts the life of Jesus to you, and you experience His divine life. See, it's a promise. If you love me, you will. You will keep my words. Now, that verse stirred me about 15 years ago. But a few months ago, it went in a whole lot deeper. <laughs> Are you convinced of it? <laughs> Ask the Spirit of God to convince you, because I'm telling you, when he, when he convinces you, you can be in that moment where you feel all the pressure of the flesh and the world and say, Jesus, I love you. And immediately... There'll be a discernible left in your spirit as the divine spirit <laughs> through the basis of the word. And you exercise faith in the words now lifts up your spirit, divides between soul and spirit. And now spirit is ruling over soul and body instead of the other way around. A couple of weeks ago I was in a meeting and we dealt with this truth. Past, uh, the uh, pastor's wife said to me at the end of the week, actually was getting ready to leave. She's a dear lady. Wow. But she said to me, she said, you know, all my life, I have lived under command. Sweetest smile came across that face. She said, but I'm going to start living under promise. Richard Vermbron is the founder of Voice of the Martyrs. He is from Romania. He's now with the Lord, but back under communism, he was put in prison two different times. The two times totaled 14 years. In his book, Tortured for Christ, he details some of it. He said, you know, some of it is beyond what you even want to say. But even what he does detail, I can't say in an audience like this tonight. It is so wretched. It is so vile. It is so horrific what he and others like him went through for their faith. But as you read him tell the story and his attitude toward the torturers, his enemies, he loved them. Now you can say pious words and it's quite obvious you don't mean them. The way he couches it 
actually loved his enemies. And I'm sitting there thinking, how? How, how can you be there? And, and, and your body is emaciated and you're, you're deformed now because of all the torture. And You love these guys? Well, it's because he loved Jesus. And by that life, he loved his enemies. Because that's what Jesus did for you and did for me. When we were enemies, he died for us. And that same love can be accessed. Vance Havner once said, Revival is falling in love with Jesus all over again. May we do so. Because Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will. It's a promise. He will keep my words. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Friends, the challenge tonight for all of us is let's love Jesus. Let's fall in love with Jesus all over again. And friend, if you've never met Jesus, if you're not born again, if what I'm saying is foreign, you can meet Jesus tonight. Pastors here, Leighton's here, there are many here that can help you if you have a need to have someone take a Bible and explain to you how to get saved. Because salvation is not just getting you to heaven, though that's a wonderful truth. It's getting Jesus into you. That's when all this can start. That's your need tonight. I hope you'll do that. But friend, if you already know Jesus, oh yes. Let's let the Spirit of God speak these words to our hearts. Let's talk to Him about what He's talking to us about. Let's ask the Spirit and trust the Spirit to remind us in the moment of need that when we love Jesus, we live Jesus. We will keep His words. It's a promise. Lord, bless Your truth to our hearts. May we never be the same for Your glory. Would you take some time to talk to Jesus about what he's talking to you about as the music plays?